Second Corinthians chapter twelve, verse eleven. I haven't been a fool. You forced me to it, for I ought to have been commanded by you, for I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle will perform among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Hence, for the time I'm, I'm ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for the par their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you, though, uh, through any of these whom I send to you? I urged Titus to go and send the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Verse 19. Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not, uh, I come, I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, immorality and sens sensuality that they have practiced. This is the word of God. Let's come in prayer to prepare our hearts to receive God's word altogether in the sermon. Oh Lord, we come before you um, thanking you that you love us first. You reach out to us first and you call us out every day of the week. And Lord, you call us back to yourself to embrace your love. And even as the sermon is preached this morning, I pray, Lord, that we'll come before a Lord who is with open arms, that we will not fear to turn from our sins, but to turn back to you and run back to you. Lord, may the word convict myself as well, that I may turn to you first and foremost, not just confessing, but Lord, rejoicing that you receive all of us as members of your family, daughters and sons, fathers and mothers, who are whom are yours. For you are our ultimate Father in heaven. So Lord, speak to us. 
and help us to hear your words instead of man's words. In Jesus Christ's name, I do pray. Amen. Now, I'm not sure you guys are sports fans or you play sports and you guys will follow even the Commonwealth Games, right? And the recent Commonwealth Games, there's uh, two names stand out. Right? It's a husband and wife, Terry He and Jessica Tan. Both of them made history to win gold for Singapore in the badminton mixed doubles. And both were seen to finally collapse on the floor. Right? If you have seen that, that, that shot uh, of the courts, they, they collapse onto the floor of the courts. We enjoy and disbelief right? that they won. And Fong Tianwei, right, also won gold for the table tennis at the Commonwealth Games. Then there were misses, right, misses by Singapore's actually world champions, like Joseph Scoling in a swimming event, and Low Ki Yu also in another badminton event. But these athletes would not be the only ones rejoicing or feeling disappointed at the benches. There were the unsung heroes. There were the coaches who coached these athletes. You see, coaches were employed to build up the athletes. Uh, to build them up, the coaches are the athletes, instructors, sometimes cheerleaders, and even counselors at times. Like the coaches dedicate and spend their lives training the athletes to achieve their gold medals. But sometimes, but sometimes, in order to build up and strengthen the athletes, the coaches also have to come and speak to the concerns, their concerns, warn and even discipline the athletes when they falter in their training. So what do coaches do when athletes make a bad choice in life? The bad choice may destroy their career and, and all their training efforts altogether. But do the coaches and their coaches forsake the athletes? Similarly, in the Bible, the Apostle Paul was like a coach who did not easily forsake people making bad choices in the church. But Paul is more than just a coach. He's better. As we'll see in a little while in the sermon. He cares for the souls of the believers of Christ. He told the church of Corinth in our text in verse 15 that he gladly spent and be spent to build up the souls in the church of Corinth. In other words, Paul is willing to give up his resources, his time, his money, and even to the point of giving up his life to building up the souls of believers. Now, Paul used the word upbuilding, all right? You find in the ESB version, right, it's really the word upbuilding. Or in our times, we would say building up. He used this word many times in his letters to the churches, five times in 1 Corinthians, right? You can find it five times in Corinthians chapter 10, chapter 14, chapter 12. In fact, sorry, chapter 14, he used it four times itself. Twice in Ephesians, right, chapter 4. Once in 1 Timothy and once in Romans 15. The word upbuilding is perhaps a reference to construction or even architecture. All right, architectural word. 
no, they don't have kind of engineering back then. But if you're an engineer, you know what a building means. It's like building up, constructing something, you know, you know, doing from scratch. And in the context of our text, right, it is it also carries the meaning of edifying or edification. Now, this word is a Christian word. You are right. But let's not throw away what something is good in the Christian circle and say that this is not relevant anymore. We don't hear it, so we just forsake. Edifying, what edification doesn't mean anything to us. No, this is a good word. This is a Christian word. In fact, if the word upbuilding is to be replaced in the translation, edifying or edification is the right word. What is edification? What is to edify? Now, to edify is to instruct or improve someone either morally or intellectually. Right? That is edification. Instruct or improve morally or intellectually. But it carries more than just instructions like coach or um, uh, you know, asking someone to improve like a coach. Right? There is more to it. And Paul is going to highlight this for us. When edification is done well and is effective, it will strengthen, it will increase the strength of the soul and encourage the persons involved. However, biblical, the biblical and the way leading to edification and building up may surprise some of us here. and Some of us may be surprised by how Paul is doing his edification even in the text here. Paul's way of edifying the church is by doing so care. Something that we might not be very familiar with, but he's doing so care. Because he says that, for the soul I will be gladly spent and be spent. Right? And the first thing he do in soul care is, he show his concerns and love. Right? He was sharing with honesty, sincerity, and even to a degree of vulnerability. Right? In his sharing, he expresses his real struggles and even disappointments, his love, and sincerely plead for their repentance, the church repentance. From Paul's example, God shows how Christians ought to speak to the concerns of each other's soul with edification. And that's the big idea of the sermon. Christians are to speak to the concerns of each other's soul with edification. Now, in our text, it may again some surprise some of us that when we do so care, we may begin by sharing our real concerns, our real disappointments, and even struggles with one another. And when we share our struggles and concerns, we share our need for soul care. Or in Paul's case, he conveys his concerns about caring for the souls he brought the gospel. He was sharing his concerns and, and the struggles of soul, soul caring for his relationships in the church. So here is the first point of the outline here, right? Convey the issue of the relationship. Con Paul conveys his issue, his disappointment, his struggle, and his ongoing concern of his relationship with the church of Corinth since chapter 10. He cares for and loves their souls. And for that reason, he was disappointed. He was disappointed. He has an expectation, you see. But when people fall short of an expectation, there's a gap. And because of that gap, naturally, we will be disappointed if you have expectations. 
and having expectations is not wrong. It's just the nature of us caring for somebody, somebody, isn't it? He was disappointed that he had to resort to boasting like a fool of the world. From chapter 11, we will learn that the paid so-called speakers, the professional so-called speakers, orators, uh, the so-called super apostles, right, alleged that Paul was a fake. Paul was disappointed and struggled with the church of Corinth, believing that he was a fake. He had to resort to boasting about his own achievements in order to prove, uh, in order to prove God is working in the church or in him. The super apostles boast the achievements of their strength, but the apostle Paul boasts the achievements of his suffering in weaknesses. Now, in that case, right, Paul subverts and even undermines the super apostles' boasting of the world. Paul boasts in the Lord. He boasts of the gospel truth uh, that when he was weak, he was strong in the Lord. In other words, Paul was arguing that a true apostle, a true disciple is dependent on the Lord's strength instead of his own strength. And so, Paul simply say, I'm the true apostle because I depend on the Lord and not on my spoken words. However, he was disappointed. He was disappointed that the Corinthians couldn't recognize him as a true apostle of Christ, even after he has shown the qualities of an apostle with signs, wonders, and mighty works. Now, you see, God granted the apostles to perform extraordinary signs, wonders, and mighty works to prove them to be true. Right? We find this in the Old Testament. Right? In order to prove the, post, uh, the prophets, that they are true prophets, God gave them the ability to perform signs. Now, in the New Testament, it's the same. Right? That the apostles are given the abilities for signs and wonders to prove that they are apostles. Right? That is for them. Right? This is extraordinary times for the fulfillment of God's word. And then you might ask them, what are the differences between, let's say, the signs, the wonders, and then you, know, you have mighty works? In all likelihood, right, the signs are the marks of an apostle. The marks of Christ-likeness in suffering like Christ. And Paul has spelled that out about his physical, his mental, and, and emotional afflictions in the second part, part of chapter 11. Literally, he bare the marks and the wounds of Christ in his suffering. The signs of marks of Christ's likeness. He was wounded for the sheep. The wonders are the miracles of conversion of people to Christianity through Paul's preaching of the gospel. Now, Paul is admitting that in his preaching, right, there is no magic. It's all the Holy Spirit work in converting somebody, in bringing the good news to somebody, convicting in somebody's heart, and therefore the conversion happens. So there are wonders. A person's salvation is a miracle. 
And then he attests to the conversion miracle in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, right? Verse 14, he says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him. And he's not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Now, what are the things of the spirits of God that the natural person does not accept and is not able to understand? They are the content of preaching. When a person cannot, and the natural person, and naturally the natural person cannot naturally understand what is being preached. But Paul uh, has been just referring to what he imparted through preaching. The glories of Christ crucified and reason and reigning and all that God is for us in him. And then Paul, you know, he just said in again before in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the word of the cross is fully to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And I continue a little bit more. He says, since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. And then we impart this in words not taught by, by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So the teaching of God's words is what the natural person cannot grasp at all. That is what is spiritually discerned, right? Not that they are able to spiritually discern the word of God, but they are spiritually discerned. The natural man cannot grasp the teaching of God's word. So in summary, it is a wonder and miracle when spiritually dead persons like you and I would believe in Christ through the preaching of the gospel. And it takes mighty works then for individuals to come together, organize themselves to become a church. Paul founded and planted local churches, regional churches uh, across the three regions to the known uh, world back then in Ju uh, Jesus' time. And, and it was spread across the regions of Achaia, right? Achaia was right at the bottom, and then Mes Macedonia, and then Judea. Uh, for you, it's the other way around. I'm doing facing here. So the church of Jerusalem was in Judea. The churches of Philippi, Berea, and Thess Thessalonica were in Macedonia. And the church of Corinth was in Achaia. These are mighty works. How would ordinary sinners through conversion come together as the body of Christ? These are mighty works that church family would be formed. Or church families would be formed. Or churches of families would be formed. For that reason, Paul conveyed that he was disappointed. He was concerned and struggling that they didn't honor him to receive his grace and love, preaching to them free of charge. We say FOC, right? Free of charge. Instead, the church of Corinth were offended and alleged that Paul was a fake apostle. Now, dear beloved and friends here, we might have issues and struggle with some of our relationships in the family. We struggle with our friendships and even we struggle relationships in the church. And some of us may be trying to do soul care for one another. And we are struggling with our own disappointments as we do soul care. 
So the question for us is then do we convey our struggles, our concerns in our relationships? Or do we just sweep it aside and pretend nothing has happened? Or worse still, do we break away and shunt the people we are supposed to love? Who do we convey our struggles? Here, the Apostle Paul told his struggles directly to those breaking his heart. But Paul didn't stop conveying his concerns and struggles in his relationships. He expresses his love for his soul, uh, for the souls to which he brought the gospel. He expresses the love relationship that they ought to have. He's edifying the church by doing so care through expressing his love. Right? And just now what Elder King Ho was saying in front, right? Uh, during the worship leading, that God desire that we love and we express our love in God's soul care. And here's the second point of the sermon. Express the love relationship. Express the love relationship. In verse 14, Paul reveals his motivation for not accepting their financial support. Why? Because he was thinking like a father who loves his children. You see, a father's love and rightful father's love ought to be sacrificial. Spiritual parents should reflect and move towards and have the sacrificial love of God as the Heavenly Fathers do. You see, the Heavenly Father's heart is delighted to spend, either spend resources, spend time, whatever you think can be spent. The, heart, the Father's heart's disposition is to spend and to be spent for the souls of men. Christ Jesus is God's delight and uh, He's delighted to spend His time with ordinary and broken folks on earth. And again, Christ says that He came for the sick in the soul and not for the well-behaved. We are not expecting a church full of well-behaved people. Children, right? We are not expecting you to be just well-behaved. Of course, you should be where you are, listen to your parents. That's true. But we are not just expecting being well-behaved. We are looking, right? to spend together to reflect upon the love of God who is sacrificial to us. Christ came to be spent for the souls of men. And you might ask, how was Christ spent? Let us not forget, let us never forget that He paid for the sins of believers with His own life. He was hung and he died on the cross. And through this good news of Jesus spent his life redeeming the souls of men, he caught the heavenly father's heart and love. Right? Paul actually caught the heavenly father's heart and love from Christ's sacrificial love. And for that reason, Paul expresses his love relationship with the church of Corinth. If the church does not recognize Paul's sacrificial and fatherly love, 
And, you know, if the church does recognize Paul's sacrificial and fatherly love, and that should motivate them to respond in love, like children's loving their parents. Now, Paul can only be their spiritual parent if, or spiritual father, if they recognize him as such. Now, as a true father or spiritual father, Paul would not burden or take advantage of his own children. Now, if you are a Christ-loving parent, then you will not take advantage of your children, would you? I am speaking to the fathers here or the fathers at home. If you are a Christ-loving parent, you will not take advantage of your children, would you? If you are a Christ-loving spiritual father, spiritual mother, and brothers and sisters in the family, you will not take advantage of each other's weaknesses, will you? But if we have been hardening our hearts against God and hardening our hearts against His people, we would take advantage and exploit even the spiritual weaknesses of those who are around us. That's the nature of our heart. In fact, you can look back to uh, Genesis, not very far, right? How Adam and Eve, though their husband and wife, once they are found, they were both sinning and fall. The moment they fell and God approached them as the Heavenly Father, right? What did they do? They take advantage of each other's weaknesses, complain about each other, right? That was what the fake and super apostles were doing to the church of Corinth. They were exploiting, taking advantage of the church. Knowing that the church of Corinth was spiritually young and weak, they gladly received an income for the version of the gospel. Right? In turn, the church of Corinth alleged that Paul does not receive their money as a paid speaker, proving that therefore he was a fake apostle. But one will wonder, and one wonders what was underneath their allegation against Paul. Now, I'm not saying that the, the scripture actually tells us that, but you got to wonder what is underneath their allegation against Paul. Would it be because that the church felt that rejecting their money, supporting the apostle, was an insult to them? So they were injured and they were hurt. Now, Paul questioned the church not to again condemn them. Paul questioned the church to help them to reflect if their allegations were true. They are to question if Paul took advantage of them since he didn't take their money. But Paul turned their allegations around and told the church they were scammed actually by the so-called super apostles in chapter 11. To further help the church of Corinth to understand where he was and he is coming from in our text, he expresses his love relationship for them. It is a father and child love relationship. And to show that his fatherly love and heart for them is true, he draws their attention to Titus. You see, the church has met Titus and the church has received him well. Now, if they trust 
Titus was not seeking his own interest and advantage, then the church of Corinth should also trust Paul by the extension of their relationship with Titus. Moreover, Paul claimed that Titus and he actually had the same spirit serving God. Now, how do Paul and Titus have the same spirit, then you might ask. We'll do well to take note, and that is where Paul is coming from, right? We'll do well to take note the kind of relationship Paul and Titus had. You see, Paul later revealed in his pastoral letter to Titus, in the letter to Titus, and the opening verses says this. Paul, you know, Paul later called out to Titus as what? My true child in a common faith. Paul and Titus have the same spirit because of the shared faith. And more than that, that faith was passed down from Paul to Titus in a father-child relationship. And Paul calls Titus as his spiritual child. You see, he loved Titus as his spiritual child. He loved Titus like his own son. And sometimes one wonder, reading Paul's letter, he was a single. And God perhaps called him to be a single. But how many spiritual children he has and he had. And perhaps that's the reason why Paul remained single. Right? To dedicate his life for the church. But he didn't miss out. He didn't miss anything. He knew God's fatherly heaven, heavenly father's heart. And he was able to love the church like his own children. So no single spiritual parent should say that they miss out something. In the church, nobody misses out as a family of Christ. You have spiritual children. You have spiritual brothers and sisters. You are spiritual fathers and you are spiritual sons and daughters. Now, for a long time, I've never understood when I was in PCA, right, in the General Assembly, when they addressed one another on the stand as fathers and brothers. When I first heard it, I thought it was strange addressing the general assembly of elders, fathers and brothers. I never quite get it. Why these people right, coming up with very formal agendas to address brothers, but not just that, fathers. And from just reading this, I get a sense of why important because all of them are seeing each other as family, fathers and brothers in a very close relationship. You see, the spirit of God and faith was imparted from the under-shepherd to his flock. Paul was under-shepherd under -shepherd, and his flock was the churches. Paul was like a father is to his children. So as I prepare this sermon again, I say God's word and his spirit has profoundly challenged and even are molding me 
as an under-shepherd of Christ. And if I may, I would love you like the church, like my own children. You see, I never say to my children when they did something wrong, Hey, see lah, see lah, I told you so. After I warned you already, see lah, I told you so. At home, I practice the gospel of grace when my children accidentally or carelessly even spill a glass of water or milk. I indeed told them, you can ask both of them with permission, don't cry over spilled milk. It's okay. Life is messy. Accidents happen. It is okay. My brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, it is okay. Life is messy. Even in the church family. Let us not then harden our hearts towards one another. Let us bring the gospel of grace and truth to bear on one another's heart. We will have to express our love relationship with the gospel of grace even if we have to do it over and over and over and over and over again. You see, family, do this over and over and over and over again. If our church is like that, expressing the love relationship, then we are truly a spiritual family. You see, God has written us His letter of love of a perfect father through Paul. Paul reiterated and conveyed the issues of their relationship. He expresses his fatherly love for the church of Corinth and he do that repeatedly over and over and over and over again in all his letters, in all his visits. So this is not just the third visit. This is going to be visits, I'm sure. He did that for all the churches if you read his letters carefully. He wrote his, this letter, 2 Corinthians, to the church of Corinth. He's not just clearing up the air just to defend himself, you see. But again, he was also affirming his love. If you miss this entire verses uh, and you read it as his formal charge against the church, then you have read wrongly because he is coming, affirming his love as a spiritual father and even sibling. His heart disposition was a father's heart, not a judge. And to bring the church, encouragement and comfort and peace. He come motivated with the Father's heart. And Paul remembered how Christ loved the church with the Heavenly Father's love in Mark chapter 10. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. John 13, Little children, yet a little while I am with you. John chapter 21, Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? You see, Jesus cares about children. If your children here, Jesus cares for you like the Heavenly Father. I know many of us have great fathers. Some of us don't. But Jesus is telling you, He comes to little children as the perfect Father does. 
Jesus reminds his disciple that he is not just a teacher. You see, all of us readily assume the teacher's role. I am not playing down teachers, by the way. I'm not, right? Teachers days has passed. I'm not playing down the teachers. We should honor the teachers and the children will honor the teachers. But you see, Jesus reminds his disciples uh, that he's not just a rabbi, a teacher to them. But he loves them as God. The Heavenly Father loves them. He's more than just a teacher. He's more than just a teacher. Jesus is more than just a teacher. Jesus represents God's Heavenly Father's love. And through Jesus Christ, we are all adopted into the family of God. All of us, every one of us. So we'll do well to take note that Paul wasn't simply following Jesus' steps of discipleship here. If you think that these are steps, which is true, but he's not just simply following the steps, you know, convey the issues of the religion, express your love. Yes, these are good. But Paul was captured first by the love of Christ, God, the Father's heart, that he may love the children, the church, like a father to a child. Likewise, we are to minister to one another. As brothers and sisters, but more so, when we do so care, we need to love with God's parental love. Perhaps, like I say again, you are like me, who does not have an exemplary father or parents. Some of your children might be nodding your head. I know I'm not perfect as a father. But over time, you see, after I became a Christian, even though my father, my earthly father, is not perfect, lots of ways disappointed me. At the end, at the end, I can still point out moments of my father's love and care for me. You see, you can't deny that. There are moments. And before he passed away, I thank God that before he passed away, long, long time ago, I, I mean, he passed away recently, but long time ago, I, write, I wrote him a letter to thank him for allowing me to actually fail. You see, parents are supposed to be sacrificial and gracious to nurture. And they should allow failures of their children to build character and resilience. Now, all the more than spiritual parents got to be patient with one another in the church and allow time for the children of faith to take root and grow. Soul care is not just 12 steps recovery program. Soul care is edification, expressing the love of the Heavenly Father's love in His heart. The motivation for us to do so care is God's Heavenly Father's love expressed at the cross. At the cross, 
God conveys the issue of our relationship with Him. We have sinned against our Heavenly Father and we are rebellious. By the cross, God conveys and expresses His love for us by willingly sacrificing His only Son to save the rest of His children through this ultimate Heavenly Father, uh, ultimate Heavenly Brother. is the good news of Jesus Christ saving us. It's the good news of Jesus Christ saving grace. And having said that, the gospel of grace must also be backed up with fair warnings when the child falters. You see, the children of God must not abuse the grace of God. Either good heavenly father, the apostle Paul pleads with the church of Corinth to restore their relationship with God and Him. And here is the final point of the sermon. Share the plea to restore the relationship. You see, Paul is eager to restore his relationship with the church of Corinth. However, he would not be callous in handling some spiritually weak and sinning in the church. The process of doing soul care with edification, building up and strengthening the church involves warning and pleading with the weaker. You're not to force the hand of Paul's authority over the church to discipline them. He shares the consequence of ignoring his plea to be restored with the weaker. The consequence does not just hurt the weak and sinning, you see, but it will hurt Paul as a, as a spiritual father and the church. So my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I will urge all of us, right, if there are any allegations to be made, and even if you're just sharing, right, and there are similar allegations, you need to understand when you bring before the elders, even pastor, and I do have a dual role kind of, I'm a pastor, but I'm also part of the eldership. We, we bring allegations and without going to confront and love the other person first in ironing out the issues, conveying the issues of your relationship. And when you do that, and when you go and to other members over and over again about the same person, allegate, the same allegations, you are actually forcing the hand of the church authority to intervene. So my counsel to us all, brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, please, 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 convey your issues of your relationships to the, to the person who offended you first. That is only mature to do so. That is scriptural to do so. So my fair warning to all of us is this. 
if you continue to do allegations of one brother and sisters, or even father and mothers here, the authority will have to come in if you do not stop. I'm not saying that we are already doing that now. I'm not saying that the church is like that. I'm giving a general fair warning to all of us, even myself. Okay? So all in the church family will be hurt when Paul exercises his authority as an under-shepherd. How will Paul be hurt? You see, Paul says that he will be in tears. He will be in tears and mourn like a father. We all take note, uh, need well to take note, the word mourn in the text is actually to grieve. Right? If you are not familiar with mourning, the word itself is grief. But it's not just simple grieving. It's a grieving, it's a feeling of intense sorrow, intense sadness, very, 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 very sad, sad to the core that the bone will break. Mourn. If Paul has to exercise his authority, he will mourn like a father. In the context of Paul coming down with his authority as the church of the apostle, as an under-shepherd to discipline the many not repented, he will mourn, grieve, and be very sad, like he would be losing his own children. And imagine that you are a parent losing your child or children. No matter how difficult your relationship is with your child and children, right? Imagine that you will lose your child and children as a parent. If children don't get it, imagine you will lose even your most unfavorable father or mother. Just think about that. You will mourn. You will mourn. Trust me. I mourn when I lose my father. Because God's instruction has written earlier to the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Purge the evil person from among you. Losing a child is an extreme anguish and deep grief of any parent. And Stephen Atlee Gurkis, or you may call him Gurkis or Gurkis, which depends on which continent you are from. And he wrote this in his playwright, The Last Days of Judas Iscariot. And he captures the heart of a parent losing a child this way. No parent should have to bury a child. No mother should have to bury a son. Mothers are not meant to bury sons. It is not in the natural orders of things. I buried my son. In a potter's field, I place him in a hole and cover him with dirt and rock alone. I was not able to finish burying him before sundown, and I'm not sure if that affected his faith. I begrudge God none of this. I do not curse him or bemoan my Lord. And though my heart keeps beating only to keep breaking. I do not question God. 
I do not question why. I remember the morning my son was born as if it was yesterday. The moment the midwife placed him in my arms, I was infused with a love beyond all measure and understanding. I remember holding my son and looking over at my mother saying, Now I understand why the sun comes up at, a, at day and the stars come out at night. I understand why rain falls gently. Now I understand you, mother. Angurgis, we get it. And Paul refers himself in, in the anguish of a mother losing her child in Galatians, Galatians chapter 4. And Paul says this, My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. You see, Paul was like a spiritual father and mother to the churches. So he was representing both, not just one. And thank God for his word, right? It applies to both spiritual father and mothers, fathers and mothers. And he would anguish over and suffer. And it was like torturing him to have to discipline the unrepentant. You see, for this reason, Paul pleaded for the church of Corinth to repent from impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality in verse 21. Now, Paul truly wanted to show grace to the repentant to restore their relationship. Why? Because Christ was pleading the same for Paul to repent. Now, if you still remember when I preached Acts in Acts chapter 9, when Paul was on the road of Damascus, Christ appeared to Paul to convey the issue of his relationship with God. Paul was rebelling against God. He was killing his people, his own brothers and sisters without knowing for his self-righteousness and agenda. You see, then Christ didn't stop there and say, hey, you are, you are done for, man. You've you got serious relationship with the Heavenly Father here. This is what I want to tell you and you're done for. He didn't stop there. Christ did what? Christ expressed his love relationship by calling Paul's Hebrew name with endearment. And he called out this, not once but twice, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul was blinded by the light of Christ and Christ pleaded Paul to restore their relationship. That his physical, not just his physical sight to be restored, but his spiritual sight would be restored as well. You see, Paul was like Christ then, caring for the souls with edification in the church of Corinth. We are to be like Christ, caring for the souls with edification to one another. And now we know the steps. But most importantly, let us first go before the Lord to experience his fatherly love that would then we will love others with the Father's heart. And I'm glad to report that I know some of us here are doing that. Either right here or, above, or no, some of you at home. You are doing right there now and I'm glad we are doing that. And God's love and His gospel of grace are working in all of us. And we hope in Christ Jesus that relationships with God and believers can be improved 
from strength to strength, building up one another. And let us be willing to receive so care for one another and do so care with edification that reflects truly the love of the Father, the love of God Himself. Our Heavenly Father. And this is the Word of God. Now Christ Jesus loved us much that He left us with His sacraments of the Lord's Supper. But taking the Lord's Supper is for our edification, to edify us, to instruct and improve our spiritual lives. So then the Lord's Supper is for building us up. And I'll move forward with the Lord's Supper. You see, Christ, and now we enter the word of preparation. You see, Christ has left the church with his under-shepherds, the elders and the pastors, and members, each of us, to care for our souls. But earthly shepherds and members are imperfect, as the apostle was. Oh, by the way, the apostle Paul has thoughts as well, if you read on. okay, The, the Bible didn't cover that up. Under shepherds have faults. Members have faults. Not perfect. And for that reason, Paul preached the gospel and defers his soul care of the church to Christ himself. Jesus is the chief shepherd who cares for our souls. He wants us not only to be cared for in our good times, but especially, especially when we are going through tough times. So none of us is always on the up curve. We maybe on the decline, especially on the decline, we must come before the Lord to be strengthened by His sacraments, the Lord's Supper. For that reason, He invites us to experience His discouragement, Christ's discouragement. You see, Christ was discouraged as well. He's expressed that over and over again. His grief, His joy even, and we must capture this well. Come before the table, but do not stay in your mourning. Go with joy knowing that the Lord will strengthen us. Joy in His gospel administration, the Lord's Supper. 